You're listening to the Saint Stop Podcast. Follow us, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And if you don't, man, stop playing right now. You write and you contribute to the Saints News Network and the mm-hmm. Canal Street Chronicles. Also, you host your own podcast um, with with another host, uh, the mm-hmm. Bayou Blitz. Yeah, yeah, so, I do. I mean, um, just go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, we do have uh, we do have a podcast called the Bayou Blitz. Uh, for a while, we were going pretty regularly on Wednesday nights uh, around the holidays. We've been, you know, we've been touch and go with work schedules and whatnot, uh, but we're looking to get back to it on a regular basis. Uh, my host at the Bayou Blitz is the news director, the news network, and SI.com, Kyle Mosley. Uh, and we we do kind of feature uh, the Saints News Network is uh, Sports Illustrated and SI.com's, uh, you know, feature news source for the New Orleans Saints. Uh, we just tr- struck a deal with Sports Illustrated uh, about about halfway through the season. So it's still a feeling out process on both sides. Uh, but, you know, obviously the exposure over there is terrific. Uh, and I have been, oh my God, it's, it's exciting. I mean, yeah, you, you talk about the epitome of the sports media world, uh, and you're talking about really two names right at the top of that list, ESPN and sports illustrated. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, we're, we're hoping is to start us some big things. Um, but I've also been writing for canal street chronicles for going on three years now. Uh, that's one of the bigger blogger sites, uh, you know, through, uh, you know, for not only the New Orleans Saints, but all through the NFL. Uh, we're owned by SB Nation, which is a pretty big, pod, uh, a pretty big uh, broadcast company themselves. Uh, and I've gotten a lot of great opportunities through Canal Street Chronicles. I don't know how much longer this old man can keep it going. Uh, <laughs> working, working two different, uh, two different sites, trying to put out four to five pieces a week, uh, you know, through both sites. But as long as my body and what's left of my shattered mind and emotions hold out, I'm going to still keep plugging away. I heard that. I heard that, man. Mr. Pop Rose, man, we we excited to have you on, man. We've been talking about uh, ever since uh, we hit each other up on Twitter, and we have a lot of questions. Um, so, yep. you guys, go ahead, man, and, and drop these bombs on. Them. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you if you heard any of this, a uh, little bit of this back and forth between me and Mike. We were talking about the quarterback situation for the New Orleans Saints going into next season Mm -hmm. and what they should do in the upcoming draft. Now, I have been banging the table (laughs) for Joe Burrow. And this has been since the beginning of the season. I've seen what this kid can do, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even before he transferred. Now, I know we currently sit at 24 in the draft. However, I was saying if it was up to me and we could put a package together to move up, would it be worth going to get Joe Burrow? My answer is yes. And, you know, the question they they asked was, you know, what would we trade away? And I said, if we would flip number ones, give a third and trade Alvin Kamara. To me, Alvin Kamara has not been the same Kamara since Ingram left. And even when Ingram was there, when he was depended on to be the guy, when Ingram was injured or suspended, he just didn't live up to what we needed him to be as an every down back. To me, he's a change of pace back. He's a third down back, Mm -hmm. a guy that could come out of the backfield, but he can't be that every down back that you need 
And for that very reason, if we could go and get our quarterback of the future for the next 15, 20 years, why not do it? And wow. I mean, yeah, you brought up so many uh, different issues there. Uh, you know, first and foremost, I agree with you. I think Joe Burrow is as close to a can't miss prospect uh, you know, as we've seen at the quarterback position in quite some time. Uh, I, I grew up in the days of John Elway, Dan Marino. John Elway was, you know, it was my idol. Uh, Danny Marino, you know, Jim Kelly, you know, all those guys. Joe Burrow is a throwback. Uh, you know, he, he, he is, I think, one of those players that would be successful in any era. Uh, and watching him play for, uh, for LSU over the last two years has been an absolute treat. Uh, and I think that he's going to be successful in the NFL no matter who gets him. Uh, now, as far as the New Orleans Saints getting him, being able to move up and get him, uh, you know, what you suggested is a possible trade package. I don't think it's nearly enough for the Bengals to make that move down from number one, assuming that that's who they're looking at, uh, uh, that Cincinnati is indeed looking at Joe Burrow. And at this point, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't. Uh, One of you brought up the Mitchell Trubisky argument. When uh, when Chicago moved up a few spots to get him, uh, get Trubisky uh, two or three years ago in the draft, uh, I believe that the Bears literally only moved up about three spots and they had to give up a litany of draft picks to do it. Uh, Alvin Kamara is a talent. Uh, there's no question about that. Uh, I think that he has the capability and the skill set to be a number one back, but I agree. We haven't seen it yet. Uh, and he's had two legitimate opportunities to show that he could be last year when Mark Ingram was suspended. Uh, and then this season to open, uh, you know, open up the season after Mark left via free agency, uh, frankly. And I love Alvin Kamara. Uh, seems like a great kid, uh, you know, when his head is screwed on straight and he does mean a lot to this Sean Payton offense. Uh, but we've seen with Sean Payton's offense, there is pretty much no piece that isn't interchangeable. Uh, we've seen him move on from Jimmy Graham, Kenny Stills, Mark Ingram, Pierre Thomas, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Marcus Colston. Uh, yeah, so Alvin Kamara would certainly be interchangeable. No man is above, uh, no man with the possible exception of Drew Brees is above Sean Payton's system. We know that. We've seen it. Uh, so if you're going to dangle Kamara as a trade bait, uh, as a possible trade bait to move up significantly in the draft, I'm not necessarily against that as much as I would hate to see Alvin go. Uh, <clears throat> I just think to, uh, I believe you heard your, uh, if I heard your scenario, you were suggesting Kamara swap this year's number one picks and throw in another number one, uh, presumably next year. Correct. Yes. Uh, if the Bengals would bite on that kind of thing, I say pull that trigger and you know you, you don't look back. That's your that's your next quarterback. Uh, I just believe that it's going to take significantly more to get Joe Burrow uh, uh, to move up into that far into that spot, and I don't think the Saints are going to necessarily be willing to pull the trigger on that. Uh, and another question would be if you're going to draft not only Burrow but any rookie quarterback. Uh, the, the question that only the Saints and Drew Brees can answer right now is how much does Drew legitimately want to play and feel like he has left? Uh, yeah, we've seen this scenario play out in New England before. I think New England brought in potentially or uh, legitimately three heir apparents to Brady, but Brady kept on playing uh, and up until yeah. this year kept on playing well. Uh, now, New England was able to parlay two of those, you know, two of those three quote unquote Excuse me, we're sending my uh, little little boy to bed. 
Bye, Will. I love you. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've seen Tom Brady outplay three different heir apparents. Uh, who's to say that Drew Brees can't do that either? Father time is against him. I'll grant you that. Uh, but Brees played extremely well this season. Um, having said that, I do believe that the next quarterback for the New Orleans Saints after Drew Brees is not on this roster. Uh, it wasn't on this roster this year either. Hey, I love the way Teddy Bridgewater played, and I think he proved to all of us that he is a legitimate starting quarterback in the NFL. Uh, but I think that Ted, because he did that, Teddy is going to get a large contract from somebody to yep. go be their next starter. Uh, and assuming Drew Brees is going to come back, uh, and I believe that he is, he's going to come back with the New Orleans Saints in 2020. Uh, and it, it, it'd be too much to – I mean, Teddy Bridgewater deserves a shot at a starting gig as well. Uh, he's 27 years old. His entire career is still well ahead of him. Uh, I still haven't seen anything to prove to me that Taysom Hill is a legitimate starter yet. Uh, I'm not discounting that he could be, but I'm just saying I haven't seen it yet. And his, his best effectiveness is in, in, for the New Orleans Saints is the way Sean Payton is using him. I'd just like to see him use that way a little bit more. Uh, uh, therefore, I do believe that the next quarterback for the New Orleans Saints post Drew Brees, whenever that is, is going to come via the draft. Here's a scenario that I can see play out, though, guys. Uh, they probably will pick up the phone and talk to the Cincinnati Bengals and say, hey, what do you want to move up to get Joe Burrow? Because if Brees is going to play, say, two, even three more years, to be able to move up and get Burrow now would still be the move to make because you have a young nucleus of talent uh, yep. that, you, that you can't afford to kind of wave goodbye to a couple draft picks. As long as you're not pulling a Mike Ditka, Ricky Williams deal here, you can still you know, draft wisely on day two you know, using your second and third round picks and boost this team. Uh, you look at how many second and third round picks have already uh, are already make up this talented roster. Uh, you know, and so the Saints aren't afraid to part with a first round draft choice, future first round draft choices, if it means getting your guaranteed starting quarterback of the future. Uh, because another thing to look at, guys, is salary cap. Veteran quarterbacks, regardless of their uh, their their spot in the pecking order of the NFL greats right now. They eat up the majority of your salary cap. A rookie quarterback does not. So you're yep. safe for two to three years of a pretty cap-friendly deal if you bring in your next starter. Uh, so, yeah, I do think that they'll, they'll kick the tires on uh, you know, over to the Bengals, uh, put the ball in the Bengals' court, say, hey, what do you want? This is what we're willing to give, assuming that a deal isn't uh, able to be worked out. They'll go ahead and draft for need at 24 or wherever they end up in the first round this year uh, with a sharp eye to when they know Drew Brees is going to retire, then you're going to see Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis move heaven and earth to move to wherever they need to get into the first round to draft a, and I'm just throwing a name out in the air here, a Trevor Lawrence or whatever that quarterback is going to be. Right. So jump in here one second and, uh, you know, talk about the Bengals. Um, I've, I've always been a Bengals fan ever since uh, Ocho Cinco played back there. 
Um, but their quarterback situation is atrocious. Yeah. They've been horrible for a decade now. Um, they cannot be in love with Andy Dalton. Um, so to go and 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 trade for anything uh, to get rid of, you know, their first round pick, which I know is going to be Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. They it could be Chase Young. Want, they need a quarterback. Listen to <laughs> me, right? <laughs> no. All I'm saying is right? hey, a lot of people are banging the table for Chase Young. A pass rusher is also mm-hmm. hard They're, to find. So there is no amount of draft picks or anything else you can offer the Bengals after the year that they've coming off right now to say, hey, you you can have our first draft pick. You can take Joe Burrow right from under our nose. There's no amount of anything you can give these guys. I just I, – I can't yeah. see it. I can't – and if they do, oh, man, I would be so disappointed. Well, so disappointed <laughs> in that whole organization. But there's a lot of things – a lot of reasons to be disappointed in that organization, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, that is, because of the way they've run, uh, run their business for a, a two and a half decades now. Uh, they do make moves yeah, that you yeah. know that make the rest of us scratch our heads, uh, and <laughs> yeah, except for a handful of years when Marvin Lewis was the head coach, uh, you know, picking at the top of the very top of the draft is just what the Bengals do. Yeah, and you know, right. also too, I just I just kind of want to add this. You know, when you go to the table with Cincinnati and say, "Look, this is what we got." You know, Alvin Kamara, we got a couple first-round draft picks, um, you know, and a third-round draft pick. And they look at you and they say, well, but we got Joe Mixon. You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I don't I, – I don't, I don't, because they believe in Joe. And, 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 and Joe is a great running back. And, and, he and is. I, and, and he's young, and he's got a – you know, he's got a lot of years to play. So I don't think Alvin Kamara becomes a tool that we are able to use for that opportunity to get booked. To get Joe Burrow. How many how many teams in the current NFL landscape have the multiple running back dynamic, right? Even San Francisco, <laughs> they've been going back and forth with their running backs. Seattle had three running backs before they all got injured. Having more than one running back <laughs> is not necessarily the worst thing in the world, especially if you have two running backs that can be interchangeable. Mm-hmm. So you're not selling – what offense you're running just based on what running back is in at that current time. Well, you guys, I, you guys were also, uh, you know, as you go, you were going back and forth when I was still trying to log on. Uh, both of you hit the nail on the head when you pointed out that Alvin Kamara is the most effective when he has a legitimate number one back to take those uh, traditional running back snaps. And that would allow your coach to move, you know, uh, Sean Payton and Pete Carmichael's in this case to move Kamara all over the formation. It's that Alvin Kamara that gives defensive coordinators nightmares, That's not right. the guy that lines up in the I formation down in and down out. All right. That's that's exactly that's, that's facts there. That is definitely facts. You know, I'm saying we're missing one or two pieces, right? Mm-hmm. We need. A number two receiver for sure. Oh yeah, that is the biggest problem. If we can't strike some kind of deal for this quarterback, but I just don't see a scenario where because I feel like you know Alvin Kamara's contract is coming up either uh, next year, I yeah. believe, is when his contract is up. Yeah, yeah. So he has, he has one year. Which, which is in my mind, why I say we get something for him now. 
because I just he doesn't seem happy. He seems disinterested for whatever reason it may be. Alvin Kamara has seemed very disinterested in the things that we usually do with him. We're doing with Taysom Hill. So if we keep one, we're not going to keep the other because, A, like I said, how do you even pay a guy like Taysom Hill Mm -hmm. when, yes, he's a quarterback, but you got a backup in Teddy Bridgewater, which is why I think he's going to leave. That's getting $10 million a year, right? This guy's all over the field. You can't pay all three of your quarterbacks. You can't pay Alvin Kamara, too, especially with the kind of money that Michael Thomas is making, the kind of money that I'm sure Drew Brees is going to command. So why not get something for him now? I feel like even if we don't strike a deal with the Bengals, Kamara, in my mind, should be gone this offseason. Well, and, and you have to not only look at you know, Kamara's individual situation, uh, but the team's overall uh, you know, contract situation, team contract situation. Uh, not only is Kamara's deal up after the 2021 year, uh, or in 2021 after next year, uh, you're also looking at Larry Warford, Jared Cook, an option year for Ryan Ramchek. Janoris Jenkins, if they retain him, Demario Davis, Kiko Alonso, Sheldon Rankins, Mario Edwards, Craig Robertson, Marcus Williams, Alex yeah, Anzalone, Trey Hendrickson, <laughs> and a club option for Marshawn Lattimore. Those guys so are the whole all defense, free, basically. basically. Basically, yes. <laughs> the whole defense and the NFL's best offensive lineman. Right. <laughs> right. Wow. Uh, I mean, again, so you have to talk about value here. Yes. I mean, and right now, you know, we just went 13 and three. We played in the wild card. The minimum wage on wins is going up. <laughs> you know <what laughs> sure. I mean? so you need to, we need to basically, we're playing a war game where it's who can get the most weapons first. And I think this just gives us more flexibility, right? Also, I think we need to change up the play calling. People are getting adapted to the things that we try to do. You've seen how many times we tried to run the screen game this year and it got absolutely shut down. Uh, and and that's a great point, but part of that is uh, the other terrific point you guys brought up. There was no number two receiver to legitimately stretch the field uh, and take the top off of those defenses. Uh, so that automatically allows defenses to drop an extra two guys down in the box to contain that screen game. Uh, you know, we know Michael Thomas is pretty much unstoppable through the short and intermediate zones. Uh but the uh, defenses were able to limit his run after catch ability. They were able to get outside. And basically what I saw most of the year when Com- Alvin Kamara was healthy, uh, yeah, defenses <laughs> took a Lamar Jackson approach to him. They assigned a spy to him uh, you know, when, they, when the Saints started moving Alvin around the formation. Uh, and Alvin just simply did not have any room to operate in the open field uh, on those screen passes. So I do think that a legitimate number two threat uh, will alleviate a lot of the problems that you just realized. Play calling is part of it, too. Uh, but you got to believe that Sean Payton also realized the limitations within his own offense uh, and almost had no choice to lean on the staples that has made this team successful, which made them a little bit more predictable than we've seen from the New Orleans Saints in the past. So to, to go back to the Cincinnati Bengals for a second, um, we've had the discussion many times, but A.J. Green is set to become a free agent. Mm-hmm. If he hits the market, if they don't franchise him or whatever they decide to do, if he hits the market, do you think that should be a viable option for the Saints to pick up? I do. Uh, assuming A.J. Green's legs are healthy and he's had a lot of problems with those in the last couple of years, uh, 
he uh, if, he's going to have to go through if it's me he's going to have to go through a battery of physical tests like you wouldn't believe for me to feel comfortable uh in his health going forward and you know he's going to command a high salary uh but he is still a, a healthy aj green is still a, leg, a legitimate number one wide receiver for most offenses throughout the nfl uh so uh, assuming he would be content to come to a place like new orleans when you're told in advance look, you're not going to be our number one wide receiver. And on many passing plays, you may not even be the second option because we do have Michael Thomas, obviously, but we also have Jared Cook uh, and Alvin Kamara. If you are willing to accept that, you need to know that Drew Brees, when he has a full complement of pass-catching targets, Drew uses his third and fourth option as much as any quarterback ever has. So you're still going to get your opportunities and you're now coming to a legitimate Super Bowl contender. AJ Green, can you accept that? Even if it's say a two year incentive laden deal uh, with a potential opt out after one year, that's the way that I could see them going after uh, someone like AJ Green. So I, I don't see where they, they, he wouldn't accept that. AJ Green has put the Bengals on his back for multiple years mm-hmm. now. Um, to come to a place where you don't have to do that and still be a superstar, it's a no-brainer for me. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I definitely we have to agree agree with that. I can also I can also safely say that we all agree on the fact that Ted Ginn Jr. probably is leaving this year, right? No doubt. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Uh, his contract is up anyway, and. Uh, <laughs> Ted Ginn Jr. was far more productive than I thought he would be uh, in, in his first season and a half with New Orleans. Now, I realize he was riddled with injuries in 2018, but when he was on the field, he was successful. Uh, his time has come and gone. Uh, you know, we thank you for your service, Ted Ginn Jr., but we got to replace your spot in the lineup. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now, here's, here's my next question: what What do we do? What do we do with Traquan Smith? Because obviously. <laughs> He was he was very unproductive this year. He had he had eighteen catches, two hundred and thirty four yards. But he had he had five touchdowns now. But and, and he showed sporadic spurts of talent and, 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 and there were some points where and, and I and I agree with you, you said, you know, in, in, in your in your uh, podcast that uh, Drew Brees has become comfortable with him to mm-hmm. use utilize him. But I don't see him getting open, and I see him dropping balls at the worst times. What do we do? I mean, where do we go with that? You know, like, well, Traquan Smith is the ultimate tease, uh, and it makes me angry. Uh, <laughs> he, he has all the physical ability in the world. He can run with the best of them. Uh, you know, he he does have good hand eye coordination, uh, and he you know he runs pretty sharp routes the reason and i hated the traquan pick traquan smith pick from the day that they made it because when i watched his film uh at ucf he exhibited to me a guy that had the prototypical alligator arms in traffic and that was in college uh he showed me no different as a pro He's teased us with some big, big games uh, last year, you know, uh, the year before last against Washington and Philadelphia come to mind, uh, along with a couple other big catches during his rookie season. Uh, but he wasn't consistently productive. So you come back to me with the argument and you say, well, you know, he, he's he's a rookie and it's a complicated offense. It takes time to pick up. Yeah. OK, I'll give you that. 
Uh, you know, this year he started off the season like I thought he was going to take a big step in his development. Uh, and he was having one whale of a game against the Rams uh, in week two before an ugly ankle injury uh, that really took him over half of the season to recover. Once he was fully recovered, again, he teased down the stretch. Like you pointed out, uh, you know, when we brought it up on one of my uh, one of my podcasts, uh, he looked like he earned the trust of Drew Brees, uh, particularly near the red zone. Uh, made me excited going into the playoffs, and I really thought that he was going to be a, a a dark horse product productive candidate in a run to the Super Bowl. Uh, well, that clumped down to earth uh, with exactly what Traquan Smith showed me, even back on uh, on his college tape. Uh, he's a guy. Uh, He's a guy that does not operate well in traffic. So what do you do with a guy like that? He's not your number two receiver. He can't be. He's undependable, like you said. Uh, he doesn't have a contract, an overinflated contract where you say, okay, we got to move on from him uh, and move into uh, you know, completely revamp our receiving core. Now, I don't think you do that either. He's still a young talent. Uh, if you make the right off-season moves at wide receiver, you, you bring in a smart free agent signing, be it a veteran slot guy or even a legitimate threat like an A.J. Green, uh, you draft one either with your 24th pick in the first round or a guy falls to you with your third-round pick. Uh, a guy that's going to work his way up the depth chart pretty quickly. Then all of a sudden, we're talking about Traquan Smith being a number four option at wide receiver. Uh, you know, when the when the New Orleans Saints spread out the field, uh, a number four receiver usually has some space to operate, and I think that that's where Traquan Smith, at least at this stage in his career, uh, could be beneficial to the New Orleans Saints. So I'm not saying cut him uh, now. If some if some full team throughout the NFL sees a Traquan Smith and sees all this athletic ability and all this potential and they offer you a package to move him, then you move him. But I don't think you just cut ties with him altogether at this point in his career. Yeah. I, I so as far as the, the receiver and core, what do you think would be the best way, whether it be draft or free agency? Because we've, we've missed on some free agent signings. I mean, Cameron mm -hmm. Meredith didn't pan out. Des Bryant got hurt, and now the guy is ghost, doesn't exist. We have no idea where he was. I said a lot of people expected him to come back this year and resign. That didn't pan out. So, I mean, it doesn't seem like free agent wide receivers tends to work out so much for us. Do you think there's a guy in the draft, maybe a Justin Jefferson or a Ruggs from Alabama, that you would like to be the number two? Um, I'd love to see either Jefferson or Ruggs come to New Orleans, uh, and I, you know, I, I would invest a first-round pick in them. Uh, and you know, at this point, before any of the combine workouts or private, you know, private workouts, uh, at this point, you got to believe that both Ruggs and Jefferson are probably sitting at the at minimum uh, a fringe late first-round pick. Uh, so you're probably going to have to invest in your, your 24th selection in one of those guys if that's the move that you make. Uh, and you're right. Other than what we saw out of Ted Ginn Jr., we have not seen free agent signings at the wide receiver positions pan out for Sean Payton uh, and, you know, and Drew Brees since they've been in New Orleans. Uh, so if you're going to go that route, uh, you, it either needs to be a slam dunk like A.J. Green uh, or Larry Fitzgerald, for example, who I think has a little bit left in the tank. Uh, you know, somebody who has basically reached his ceiling, 
but can still give you some production to complement Michael Thomas. Uh, where I don't think that we'll see is New Orleans invest a big contract in a number two wideout in free agency because, A, it hasn't worked out in the past, and, B, you already have your Michael Thomas. So why pay out the money for a number one wide receiver when you're going to have to juggle your cap numbers anyway to fill other positional needs? So I do see them go in that direction in the draft. Uh, if they bring in a free agent, like we said, it's going to either be a slam dunk like A.J. Green on an incentive-laden deal uh, or a second-tier guy uh, yeah, such as a Jermaine Curse. Uh, who's going uh, to give you some slot production, um, but isn't going to necessarily command a big cap number. So, yeah, I do see them looking harder at the draft for a wide receiver than I do necessarily free agent. Yeah, I would, I would, I would agree with that. And I, I mean, I, I don't know if, if also, too, you, you throw some names in, in the mix as far as free agents are concerned, like Emmanuel Sanders. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to be up also to Stephon Diggs. You know, I mean, those, those are those are some some names thrown out there. However, I did want to point out, um, and and I, I watched this kid's uh, uh, film and stuff. Uh, Lavisca Chenault Jr. from uh, Colorado State. He's going to mm-hmm. be, you know, available around the time that that twenty fourth pick is going to be there. And I'm just really impressed with his yards after the catch. He's aggressive. He's tall. You know, he's one of those types of wide receivers that catches the ball and then does something with it. He doesn't catch the ball and then run out of bounds. He likes to hit. He's just, he's just, uh, he's just one of those big mean, you know, wide receivers. And, 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 and he's, and he's one of those wide receivers that I feel, and just like Henry Ruggs can come in immediately and make an impact on the team as far as that position is concerned. Just some names that I thought. Well, Mike, I think I think it's important to not only go and get a talent, but if you remember back to the Super Bowl day, <laughs> we didn't just have a bunch of talented receivers. We had receivers that played a role, right? Like yes. Lance Moore was our slot. Marcus Colson was our number one also possession receiver. We had Meacham and Henderson that could take the top off. So I think it matters because when you talk about a yards after the catch possession guy, I mean, that's what Michael Thomas is. We need some speed. Mm-hmm is I think what we've been lacking in the wide receiver game to take the top off. Um, we need also a slot receiver because we've been using Jerry Cook in that role. But if we had a slot receiver, I think that would open more for him. Okay, when it comes down to the slot receiver, um, this is a question. Mr. Bob, what do you think happened? Why haven't they used this guy? And do you see him coming on anytime soon within our offense Little Jordan Humphreys. <laughs> I I was excited when I watched Little Jordan Humphrey uh, you know, yes. over the preseason. Um, I, I I know everybody else was you know, absolutely drooling over uh, Emmanuel Butler, uh, and yeah, he's still on the Saints practice squad as far as I know. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, so he, he's a he's a possibility for you know, for future as well. Uh, but to me, coming out of Texas, uh, little Jordan Humphrey, you know, really showed you. You talk about a receiver, a big receiver that will yes. do something once the ball is in his hands. That's what little Jordan Humphrey showed us at Texas. Uh, he didn't go drafted because of some you know really really poor workouts, uh, but. He he caused Sean Payton and that coaching staff 
Uh, you know, he showed enough to them, you know, through the preseason, even though he was dinged up for the first half of it. Uh, you know, it, it, it gave them enough confidence to, to make sure that they made him stick around. Uh, and not only that, but like you said, they promoted him to the active roster on a couple of different occasions, as opposed right. to Emmanuel Butler. Uh, mm-hmm. We've seen Sean Payton and company. You know, we've seen receivers that went undrafted and flew under the radar, have a vast amount of success uh, you know, in the Sean Payton era. Uh, Marcus mm-hmm. Colston is the poster child for that, but we've seen it out of Willie Sneed and Lance Moore, smaller guys, uh, but still effective. Uh, yeah, so the jury is definitely still out on little Jordan Humphrey. Obviously, they've seen something that they like in him uh, you know, to, to give him different roles. Uh, but, guys, you know, you know as well as I do, uh, to be an effective wide receiver, you have to have a, a relationship with your quarterback, uh, and you have to have your quarterback's trust, uh, especially somebody like Drew Brees in an offense like this that operates so much on timing. Uh, and Lil Jordan was just on and off of the active roster, uh, you know, so many different times during the season. I got to believe that he just didn't have enough reps with his starting quarterback, uh, you know, for Breeze to necessarily trust him in a crucial situation. But I would absolutely put him in the mix, uh, you know, for increased reps going into next preseason. So do you, I hope you they don't give him a... the Andy Tanner treatment. <laughs> Andy Tanner was on and off and on and off, and yeah. I, I thought he could have been something, um, but he just—I I don't think he ever really got the proper look. So, Bob, you, you're saying that you, you, most likely they're just not seeing it in practice with this guy. Like he's just not showing enough in practice is why he is not in any starting games. I would say so at this point. Um, yeah, they, they've they already uh, – obviously, Thomas's spot on the depth chart was secure all season long. Uh, you know, but Ginn and Traquan Smith, like it or not, and even Austin Carr, uh, you know, like it or not, they knew what they had in them. Uh, you know, so you're more likely to roll into a game-time situation uh, with a guy that you're comfortable with, that you've, you've gone into battle with before, rather than – put out an undrafted rookie who just hasn't had nearly enough reps, uh, you know, with your starting hall of fame quarterback. Uh, like I said, I don't necessarily think that that's a mark against little Jordan Humphrey. I just think that this coaching staff rolled with what they were comfortable with hoping because Ted Ginn jr. Has done this before in big situations for the new Orleans saints. And they were hoping to squeeze a little bit more out of him. Trey Quan Smith has teased us with his potential. So, you might not, you might not have known what you were going to get week to week from him, and it might have been extremely inconsistent production. But at least it was production that you've gotten before. Austin Carr uh, you know, has caught a couple passes from Breeze now over a few different seasons, so you knew what you had there. I just think that it was, uh, you know, a comfortable and familiar situation. Uh, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just trying to kind of reason the way – give out a reason why they rolled Traquan Smith and Ted Ginn Jr. Uh, ahead of little, somebody like Lil Jordan Humphrey on the depth chart. Yeah, I, so, I, don't, I, I don't understand either. It's like one of these things where, you know, you, you go to school for a job, and then once you get out of school, they say you want five years' worth of experience before I hire you. You know, right. 
it, it, it makes no sense to me, man. You, you got to get a guy a shot so he can produce himself. Yeah, and, and I do. I think that Lil Jordan Humphrey and most likely Emmanuel Butler are going to get other shots in uh, this coming preseason. Uh, and now that they've been in the Saints offensive system for a year, uh, it wouldn't surprise me if one, at least one of those players grabbed onto a spot on the depth chart. Uh, because even if the Saints bring in a veteran free agent, even if the Saints draft a guy at, you know, with the first or a third round pick, uh, you're still going to have to have a couple spots on that depth chart. The only guy whose spot, whose wide receiver spot is 100% secure going into the 2020 season is Michael Thomas. Ted Ginn Jr., Austin Carr, they're both as good as gone. Uh, you know, Traquan Smith, he's finally going to have, you know, he, he was, I think Traquan Smith is going to be in a fight for his life uh, for a job. Uh, next summer uh, because guys remember too we have Keith Kirkwood coming back from injury uh, and Kirkwood really really impressed me uh, in 2018 as an undrafted rookie and people forget he he earned Drew Brees' trust more, more quickly than Traquan Smith did a, a, a rookie with a higher pedigree Brees looked for Kirkwood in key situations before he looked for Traquan Smith. And as that team went into the playoffs, uh, before Kirkwood got dinged up, he was the more... Per- so I have a I have a, a scenario. Uh, you being a John Elway fan, I think you can appreciate this. <laughs> I think that Brees at this stage in his career needs that monster running back to support what he can do now. Mm-hmm. Um, he's lost a little bit of arm strength. But, you know, like Elway, Elway didn't win his championships until he got Terrell Davis on the team. Right. Do you think that is a route that the Saints should explore? Maybe instead of, you know, we can go and get a second wide receiver, sure. But instead of looking for that slam dunk number two, maybe we should be looking for that monster number one running back. That's a great point. Uh, and, uh, and very valid considering, you know, you, you, if you parallel Breeze's uh, and Elway's careers, uh, I think Elway walked away at age 39 and Breeze is still going strong at now 41 years of age, uh, either today or tomorrow. Um, Lost one again. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with this thing right now, man. How about now? It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Okay. I think it might be on my end, guys. I apologize. Um, no, it's okay. No problem, man. Um, That's what editing's for. <laughs> right? Um, will the Saints go out and get that kind of running back, a Derrick Henry kind of guy to completely shoulder the load? Uh, my answer to that is not as long as Sean Payton is a, is a head coach. Uh, Sean Payton has, <laughs> and I love Payton. He is my favorite coach uh, in the in league currently, and really ever as long as I've been watching the NFL. Um, but Sean Payton is also stuck by his arrogance. Uh, his offensive system is better than anybody else's, uh, and it is hard to argue with the results. But part of that offensive system is he likes to come at you with a variety of different backs. Uh, be it Pierre Thomas, Darren Sproles, uh, Mark Ingram, Mike Bell. You know, we, we all know the list of names. Uh, right. And 
when you guys were talking, when I was still trying to log into the show and you were going back and forth on the you know, Latavius Murray issue, uh, I do think that there was something to that whole trust issue at the beginning of the year and why Murray was used sparingly. But Murray showed us what he could do when Camaro was shelved with an ankle injury. It is beyond my comprehension why Sean Payton did not go back to Murray down the stretch uh, to give him some more consistent touches. It's not like Latavius didn't produce on even limited touches earlier in the year. Uh, yeah, and once he had those back-to-back 100-yard games, is he going to be your bell cow? Uh, I don't think for multiple seasons that he's that kind of back, uh, but he's certainly he's certainly a 1,000-yard caliber kind of back. Uh, so, yeah, say they move on, and I don't think it'll happen, but say they move on from Alvin Kamara for whatever reason this offseason. Obviously, running back vaults to the very uh, to near the very top of your team's needs list because you have to replace Kamara's production in the lineup. But I think that it's going to be with a more versatile, uh, you know, a pass uh, or yeah, pass catch kind of guy. Uh, similar to an, a skill set of an Alvin Kamara, uh, then a it's going to be closer to that kind of back than it would be a, a Derrick Henry uh, or even Ezekiel Elliott type of guy. I don't think as long as Sean Payton is the head coach that this will be a run first team ever. Yeah, I th- and I, you know that that's you know, I, that's kind of weird to me, man. Because the most successful years of the Saints is when we've had a top ten running game. Yes. <laughs> well, and, but also too, and I, and I think you answered your own question on your on your on, on your podcast when you said that Sean Payton is impatient with the run game. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I think that's 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 always been, you know, his synopsis is you know he does. Me personally, I don't feel like he uses the run game effectively to the point where it could be it could be more effective um, because he uses that run and shoot type of offense. He's versatile with the different positions that he uses, you know. And then also too, I think he has an extreme amount of of confidence in in Drew Brees more than uh, he does. And if, even if you had Jim Brown running the ball. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, I, I mean, that's 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 just the the type of offensive coordinator he is. You know, I have uh, I I have posed the I posed the question to to Tracy the other day, and I think I said it on our last podcast. You know, and and uh, and I love Sean Payton too, and 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 I love what he's done with this offense, but I think some of what he does has become very predictable. And, and and teams have caught on to that. I don't I don't think it's not a bad idea to possibly start considering bringing in an offensive coordinator. I don't know if Sean Payton would be okay with that, but <laughs> you know, bringing a uh, an offense of a fresh mind onto the coaching staff for Sean Payton to utilize, um, and 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 maybe possibly you know intertwine the run game more effectively. Um, I think is 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 a good idea, but you know that's just opinion. You know, um, in, in the end, I, I I firmly resolve that Latavius Murray has earned his position as a a running back on his on this team. I don't think he was used enough. Um, no, I I really don't. I, I, I feel like 
to me, he is more of that north-south runner. He's going to get you two or three yards on every run, you know? I mean, but this this brings me back to my point earlier. Like I said, when you think of Latavius Murray, you don't fear Latavius Murray. You have to stop him, sure, because he's on the field. But he's not a guy that a coordinator is sitting up at night thinking about, man, how are we going to stop this guy? And I feel like at this point in his career, that's what Breeze needs to complement what he can still do. Uh, and that's hard to disagree with. Uh, and I agree. I, I, I love the Latavius Murray signing when they brought him in. Um, and this is coming from a guy who he had to evolve into being a Mark Ingram fan uh, because I wasn't when they made him, you know, made him the pick out of Alabama. Uh, I do think that either Latavius Murray or Mark Ingram, when he was here, have more this than this necessary skill set to be a capable number one back. Is he the guy that keeps defensive coordinators up at night? No, that's that's number nine. That's number thirteen, and that's the guy wearing the headset on the sideline. Defensive coordinators are matching wits with Drew Brees and Sean Payton, not necessarily other than Michael Thomas, not necessarily matching their defenses up for a specific player on the New Orleans Saints offense. Uh, I just, again, if the opportunity comes to, say, draft uh, a, a featured bell cow kind of running back, a Derrick Henry, a Zeke Elliott, a Todd Gurley before his knees you know, it went went away. Uh, that kind of guy. I just, I, I would like to see it too. I think at this stage of Breeze's career, it would buy him another two or three years of really high level effective play. I just can't see Sean Payton overcoming his own stubbornness and pulling the trigger on that kind of move. I agree. And I, I also, I, I, I mean, you know, I mean, there's, there's plenty of other, like I like I've said from the beginning of uh, you know at the end of this um, you know season, I feel like uh, the key components are set in place as far as production is concerned in the positions. However, I do feel that there are some some key positions that need to be addressed in order for us to be Super Bowl bound. Um, no doubt. You know, are we are, were we potentially Super Bowl? Worthy this year? Absolutely. Last year? Absolutely. The year after that? Absolutely. However, I feel that there are some things that we need to address, you know, as far as defense is concerned, um, as far as as uh, the offensive line is concerned. Um, you know, I'm, I, you know, the offensive line was very was very productive this year, but in some really important uh, games, they were not. Namely, in particular, this game against Minnesota. Um, I mean, Drew Brees, you know, had at the most two, three seconds to do anything with the ball, you know, and my concern was the whole Andrews P thing. I think Mm -hmm. Easton came in and did a phenomenal job. Um, I don't think Andrews Pete was ready to come back from his injury. Um, and I don't, I don't feel like Andrews, Andrews Pete has, has really been as productive as he could be this, you know, you know, before, before his injury. Um, uh, Larry Warford, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think in order for all of those things that we're talking about, like the running game, like, you know, Drew Brees being able to be the versatile quarterback that he is and use 
every wide receiver up until, you know, all the way to the water bar to throw the ball to. <laughs> it begins with the offensive line. It begins with the time that he has to make the necessary decisions and choices with the ball that he can, you know? Um, and and I, I don't know. I, I think those things are more addressable today than bringing in, you know, a Kel Bow, a, a, a Kel Bell, uh, a, a running back um, or, or uh, you know, potentially, um, uh, you know, replacing, you know, at the quarterback position. So, I don't know. Yeah, and you point so, out. Mr. Bob, we got, you know, we, we have a, a quick question. Um, <laughs> so, you know, with, with what he just said, what do you think is going to take for them to get over the hump? Because I feel like they took a step back this year. And not just because of where they ended up, but because of the production of the whole team in its entirety with basically 70% of your offense running through Michael Thomas and Michael Thomas alone. What do you think they need to do to get back to that Super Bowl level? Uh, I think that the, uh, the focus is going to be more on the offensive side than the defensive side of the ball, I'll be honest with you. Uh, you, you, you pointed out, and the reason why, I, I do agree with you, I think that the New Orleans Saints did take a bit of a step back this year, uh, and I felt that way going into the playoffs. Uh, it, it's hard to say that a 13 and three team took a step back from previous uh, previous achievements, but that's what we were witnessing. Uh, and it was because that we never saw the New Orleans Saints put together a full and complete game on both sides of the ball at any point in time this year. Uh, and it, ultimately we never did see it. Uh, it. The Minnesota Vikings, the San Francisco 49ers, the Atlanta Falcons, and the Los Angeles Rams all exposed major weaknesses on this team. Uh, number two wide receiver being first and foremost. Uh, a play, a, a lack of a playmaker, a consistent playmaker in the secondary being another. Uh, and offensive guard. Uh, I have a piece coming out for Sports Illustrated tomorrow morning that outlines the team needs. And I have guard, uh, I, I listed five. Uh, but to me, going into the offseason, offensive guard is at the, t- if it's not the number one team need for me, it's second. Uh, Andrews Pete is not going to be back. Uh, I think he's going to come in. Andrews Pete has been more than serviceable during his time as a New Orleans Saint. Worthy of a top 15 draft choice that, like he was originally? No, absolutely not. And that's what kind of money he's going to command on the open market. That's why I think he's gone. Uh, Larry Warford is one of my biggest disappointments for the Saints this year. Uh, Warford still play; he's still a very, very capable guard, uh, but he showed to me poor footwork uh, and in a lot of key moments and definitely that playoff game, he just got manhandled at the point of attack. Uh, I'm not saying that they need to move on from Warford, but I'm saying that it is a possibility. He carries a high cap number going into 2020. Uh, this guy has restructured deal or cap casualty written all over him. Uh, you know, so you have to address the offense, the interior line position. Uh, we saw what drafting an interior lineman can do for this offense uh, when we saw the addition of Eric McCoy, uh, their second round pick mm-hmm. last year. Uh, if history could repeat itself, that would be absolutely terrific. Uh, you know, so the Saints definitely, you know, we talked about the number two, a, another capable wide receiver on that offense all night long. Uh, you, you have to put guard up there, too. Uh, and as far as what the team needs to do defensively, their front seven is as good as anybody's. 
the depth on that defensive line, uh, a linebacking core that we haven't seen this good, uh, you know, since definitely the early 2000s and those Hazlitt teams uh, and possibly even as far back as the Dome Patrol. Uh, they have some depth questions to answer, even though Alex Anzalone is coming back. Uh, I'm curious whether they're going to redo uh, Kiko Alonso's deal uh, and make a run to keep A.J. Klein. Uh, but the most glaring thing to me is what are they going to do in that secondary? Uh, we talked about Janoris Jenkins, whether they're going to pick up his big cap number or redo his deal. Uh, but Eli Apple, Vaughn Bell are both free agents, as is P.J. Williams, who I don't think will be back. Uh, <laughs> Let all three of them walk as far as I'm uh, I can't. <laughs> I, I love Von Bell, but I think he's going to command uh, a much too high salary. He's going to be one of the highest paid safeties on the market. Uh, and I just I think that they drafted Chauncey Gardner Johnson uh, and Saquon Hamilton for a specific reason last year. And that was because that they expected to not be able to keep Von Bell uh, to get over the hump. Guys like Marcus Williams has to. They have to be able to step up in key moments. Marcus Williams is so talented. He, he hasn't perfect. been the same. He hasn't been the same since the miracle. No, he hasn't. No, he hasn't. And it, it, he he flashed us some of what he could really do during the course of the season. Uh, but then you saw and not only his struggles in that playoff game again against Minnesota, uh, but he struggled mightily against the San Francisco 49ers too. The way for the New Orleans Saints to get over the hump, each and every single one of those guys, they need to look at themselves in the mirror. They're doing it most of the season. The Cam Jordans, the Demario Davises, those other guys, we, we know the list of talent that they have, the, how deep they are on both sides of the football, how seasoned they are now for as being as young as they are, uh, you know, coming off of a Super Bowl run for three straight years. But they haven't done it when it matters most. Yeah. Those guys have to look at the guys to their right of them, to the guys to their left of them, and them, themselves in the mirror and realize, we have gotten this close. What am I doing wrong when it matters the most? What do I have to do to get my team over the hump? It's self-accountability, and I love these guys as players. They are a close-knit team and a really easy bunch to get behind, root for, and fun as heck to cover. Uh, but the bottom line is, and, and it, we're, it, it, we're all competitors too, certainly not to their level, but we know what it's like when you come off of heartbreak, uh, how you bounce back from it. We know that they're resilient, but we also have to start doubting what their own self-confidence is like in key situations. They need to prove it to us now. All right, you guys. Um, so we're, obviously we could do this. All day, all night, <laughs> yep. a long time. But we're running up the clock here. All right. Um. So, one last question for uh, Mr. Bob, man. And, and Bob, thank you so much for coming on today, man. It thank was you, man. so great, man. Um. But Mike, you actually had a question, and we're gonna make this the last one um, about uh, Mr. Bob's favorite uh, yeah. for that moment. So, if you so, want to go ahead and ask that one. So. So Bob, I'm I'm a I'm a diehard New Orleans Saints fan, born and raised uptown New Orleans. I have watched this team since I was a kid, um, and you know, obviously, if you were to ask a Saints fan what is their number one favorite memory as a Saints fan, obviously, everybody would go to 
Well, of course, the Super Bowl win. That's the best thing of all times. Mm-hmm. But my question to you is, aside from the Super Bowl win, as a Saints fan, what is your favorite moment as a Saints fan? Wow, that's a tough question. Uh, and first of all, <laughs> thank you guys uh, so so much for having me on. Uh, I'm hoping we can do this again soon. Uh, but it was an absolute honor and a privilege to join you. Definitely, uh, definitely. My favorite moment as a Saints fan. I'm going to go all the way back to 1987. Uh, and, and and there's so many of them over the years, including you know, at my fiance and I wasn't even born yet. <laughs> yeah, no need to rub it in. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and, and and there are so many great memories all of us have. I was fortunate enough to be sitting in the Superdome last year uh, and watch Drew Brees, uh, you know, throw that t- record-breaking touchdown pass to Traquan Smith against the Washington Redskins. Uh, you know, that's right near the top of my list. Uh, but now I, I go back to 1987, uh, and I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but I am from Pittsburgh, PA. Uh, don't hold that against me. Where that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> black and gold. That's black and yellow. <laughs> right, right. Um, but uh, hey, am I still with you? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. There okay. You. Sorry. Uh, 1987. We knew that the Saints were building something special. Uh, I watched all those players from the USFL and hire Coach Mora, uh, and then they started actually winning games in 87. Uh, we'll get them next year. And we had so much potential in this and that and everything else. They were winning games. Uh, and they clinched their first ever winning season against the Pittsburgh Steelers in Three River Stadium on Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, I, nice. I, I, I was not uh, I was not fortunate enough to be family uh and my mom and dad did take my brothers to a few Steeler games over the years but you know uh thanksgiving my grandparents and uh, you know, i always kind of you know i was a little kid i think i was 12 years old uh in 87 um and a lot of my friends at school would make fun of me uh you know for liking the new orleans saints and i mentioned i was an elway fan too so i got a lot of grief for that uh but you know to to watch the lovable losers uh and the team everybody absolutely pound their way through the nfl and that was the first time that 87 season was the first time people really became aware of hey you know the, ricky jackson pat swilling von you know von Mills, Mills rest his soul. These guys are pretty darn good. Uh, and then you know, to, to watch Bobby Bear and Dalton Hilliard and company do it offensively, uh, yeah, they, they were the ultimate Cinderella story. Actually, you know, it, it was one of, feels like many, many seasons ended by the Minnesota after that win in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, with that wild card victory that the, that the Vikings had on the Saints. Uh, but yeah, to, to say for the that my favorite team, the New Orleans Saints, they were winners. This was their first. They've been around the NFL at that point for 20 years. Uh, never even had a winning season. Uh, and and to do it against my hometown team, uh, it, it was just it, it was something special. And like I said, this this franchise has been so easy to follow 
to love and to now be fortunate enough to cover. Uh, and it, it was because of moments like that, uh, moments like that Super Bowl win or the NFC Championship victory or you know, countless others where you just say, hey, the New Orleans Saints are part of my family. But it was moments like that that made me feel that. You know, way. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta tell you before we end real quick, and I don't know why that that question was 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 gleaming to me. And I told Tracy, I said, I want to. That's the kind of question that I want to ask him. And now I understand why. You know, I shared on this podcast with the first time that I was ever on this podcast. You know, my my claim to fame as a Saints fan, and it just so happens to be the 1987 playoff game that I was at when they played the Minnesota Vikings and I watched <laughs> that game. I was three rows from the, from, from the field and we woke up the next morning. My mom got a phone call and said, were y'all at the game last night? And she was like, yeah, yeah. I took Michael and, 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 and Sherry, you know, my, my sister to the game. And she said, well, your son is on the front page of the, of the Tom's Picayune. And sure enough, <laughs> I was on the front page of the Tom's Picayune with my finger in the air, number one, hollering, Number one Saints, and that was in the 1987 game against the Minnesota Vikings, the nice. first playoff game. That's crazy, man. That's yours. <laughs> nice. It really, it really is, man. That 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 was that was beautiful, guys. Heartwarming, right there. I I, I love that, man. Um, that's, that's that's what this team. Uh, radiates man in this organization and the fans you know we 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 address ourselves as family you know um far from a a lot of and and i don't take away from other organizations or things but you know we have been through a lot with this team to be where we are today i'm just so proud to be a saints fan you know and to call myself a a saints fan I, i really am and uh and to just continue to just be there no matter what through the good bad whatever you know the good bad and the ugly you know um but i i really do uh i i, I thank you bob thank you so much for coming on today and sharing definitely, your knowledge definitely. you know and and and, and your experience with the uh, saints and uh yeah definitely i look forward to doing more with you brother no <laughs> oh, true truly an honor thank you again guys so much for having me so who that everybody? This is the Saint Stop Podcast. Tracy Bartholomew, Stephen Bijou, and Michael Turner. Holla and anybody that's hating on us, stop playing with me right now.